Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From across Louisiana, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti, Stephanie Regal, and Christian Mader. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's Freeman School of Business Professor of Finance. Stephanie Regal is editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report. Christian Mader is publisher and editor of The Current. It's business Louisiana style. Hi, and welcome to Out to Lunch Louisiana. I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. I'm Christian Mader in Lafayette. And I'm Peter Raschuti in New Orleans. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic, Stephanie, Christian, and I are taking a weekly statewide look at what's happening in the world of business and finance. This week is a bittersweet show for the three of us. It's the last show we're hosting together. Now that things are returning to a kind of normal, we're going back to making our individual shows in Acadiana, Baton Rouge, and New Orleans. So you get your local show back, and if you want to keep up with what's going on in all three locations, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Acadiana, you can listen to the other shows as podcasts. Wherever you live in Louisiana, or anywhere in the U.S. for that matter, you might have noticed something has changed in your local supermarket. And in some offices as well. I'm talking about plexiglass. Those giant sheets of plexiglass that now stand between you and the person on the other side of the counter are called sneeze guards. Have you wondered where they suddenly all came from? Peter Seltzer has laser cutters that he uses to make paper products at his company, Pete's Papercraft. And when COVID came along, Peter switched from paper to plexiglass and started making face shields and sneeze guards. Peter Seltzer is joining us here in just a few minutes. But first, let's take a look at one of the local business sectors that has been hit hardest by the pandemic, tourism. Jim Cook is general manager of the Sheraton Hotel in New Orleans. He's also a commissioner of the Downtown Development District in New Orleans, a past chairman of the board of the New Orleans Convention and Visitors Bureau, and past president of the Greater New Orleans Hotel and Lodging Association. Jim, you are uniquely familiar with all aspects of the leisure and convention tourist industry. It's great to have you join us. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Nice to see you. Jim, when the tourist and convention business came to a sudden halt in March, it brought into stark relief just how dependent New Orleans has become on tourism. At some point, the city seems to have crossed an unseen boundary. We used to be a place that people came to just to experience everyday life. For a few days, a person from somewhere else could eat, shop, drink, and listen to music like a New Orleanian. Now we discover that some of New Orleans' most revered institutions, from famous restaurants to the French Quarter itself, can't survive without a steady stream of tourists. There are apparently other tourism business models that target specific kinds of tourists, not just high volume. To your knowledge, is there a way to retain a tourist and convention sector that doesn't rely on 19 million tourists a year? So thank you, Peter. I, I think that there's there's several approaches that, that are out there to create some balance um, within the community and, and the degree to which the the sector is is the primary driver in the economy. I, I think what, what's occurred in New Orleans 
is although it may feel like it's it's the growth in tourism that that has created this this dynamic it's the the decrease in other forms of economic um distribution that have that have made the the current environment what it is today it, when when we talk about tourism in greater new orleans we we talk about about 90,000 associates that that in some manner touch tourism activity whether they provide direct to customer activity or they provide support activity to those of us that that are providing direct to customer activity and and that's in in, in a city of 350,000 people that's a that's a significant percentage where where we where we have room for for greater development is in the other sectors that would then support us over time the and and it would also create a little more balance for us and and not be as dependent on the one sector the 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 concept of tourism in our in our city as you described is multifaceted it it goes well beyond the weekend getaway or the come for the bachelor party or bachelorette party and and is is firmly grounded in the large scale convention and then the mid scale conference that occurs within specific hotel buildings as as our inventory has grown in the city in, in the hotel industry over time the hoteliers to maintain a balance have distributed their sought ways to build demand to meet the supply that was growing. And, and so it, years ago, we were fully dependent on very large conferences that occurred multiple times a month and would fill the majority of the hotels. That now occurs maybe 10 or 12 times in a year, if that. And, and really what's occurring outside of festivals and large scale events like that um, is is a large number of small and medium-sized conventions happening uh, simultaneously. And, and that's how you get that degree of energy that we see, coupled with those leisure travelers and those on tour and travel, uh, bus trips, and other forms of um, that leisure activity. Jim, right now, none of that's happening. And I think it's going to be a long time before it will. So, I mean, what discussions are you all having in your industry amongst yourselves. I mean, there have got to be some sleepless nights for you guys. And now with unemployment money, you know, running out for the workers in your sector. I mean, what is the, is there a plan in the works to, to keep this industry afloat in the absence of, of these different levels of, you know, activity that you refer to? There, you, there absolutely are. It's, it's interesting, though, as you said. I think every one of us, especially those of us that lead uh, organizations, uh, it felt the weight of every one of our associates on day one. And, and, and I'll tell you, I will never forget the day that, that I had to sit down individually with all of mine, and then as a group to address them back in March to, to describe what none of us could quite get our heads around and and what we knew though was that we had gone from being occupied at close to 90 percent to being occupied at less than 10 percent um, in the course of about six days and and while we were seeing things globally and seeing things at our properties outside of our city it really hit home and when it did it hit home in in literally a four or five day period and and, and one that was so abrupt i i none of us have seen that 
um, out, outside of some other tragic events that have occurred in the past. Um, so, so we felt that from day one. Our, our first thing was how do we welcome the guests we have in a manner that's safe? And we had to ramp up our knowledge of, of safety protocols and procedures immediately so that we, we could take care of those that were in front of us. We were fortunate in our industry that the majority of the protocols in place are consistent with those that were used for norovirus, which has been around for about 10 years already. So we were able to adapt and, and, and really innovate slightly from that. And that's really what we've seen in, in the current practices today now, several months past, is, is innovation on that, that core work that had already been done. The, the challenge now is get building trust and confidence among the traveling public for folks. When, when all of the messaging is stay at home or it's safer at home, um, what do we do with these facilities? The Sheridan New Orleans is a million and a half square feet with 1,110 rooms. And, and if you know, there are 20 rooms occupied, um, I have an awful lot of unused space. And, and so how do, we, how do we think differently about that space in the near term? And then how do, we, how do we look at what the longer term is? Because ultimately, for, for our standpoint, we're seeking to weather the storm. So we're, we're looking forward to a day when confidence builds to travel and things begin to grow back, even with some lagging due to uh, the economic environment, we still expect that there will be a point where people are confident traveling again. Um, so, so that's that's step one. The the hardest part for us as a city is that so much of our culture is high touch, and and so the things that you know, even if folks are traveling to New Orleans today, the experience that they have doesn't feel the way it did back in February. Uh, because we don't have music in the streets, we don't have people dancing everywhere you learn, you turn, um, and we don't have the 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 true expression of our culture uh, in the manner that all of us miss so dearly. So, Jim, I'm curious. You know, you, something you you, you kind of touched on was the idea that that, that maybe there are some opportunities out there to at least. Uh, find a way to use this available space you have to kind of weather the storm. I mean, what what sort of flexibility are you seeing? I mean, what kind of opportunities are out there that, yeah, maybe you're not going to get the kind of margin that you would get from hotel guests, right? But you'd be able to sort of uh, shave off the pain on your bottom line. So thank you, Christian. There's There's been several approaches that, that we've seen that have started to gain some traction. Early on uh, in other markets, some of our hotels within the Marriott portfolio partnered with Amazon to create regional distribution warehousing in their ballrooms. And, and so they set up temporary distribution areas that would need didn't exist in New Orleans, but we looked at it and, and said, you know, is there, is there a need to, could we rent a ballroom for nine months? Could we, could we do something to bridge the gap? Um, I, it, it, here we had reached out to a couple of the larger uh, department type stores and said, would you like to do package pickup out of the Sheridan where you can uh, have the items delivered to us and then they can drive in our motor court, pick up the item and go and, and do a virtual contactless pickup and, and work to, to rent that space because I don't anticipate the same guest traffic in my motor court that I would normally see. Um, as, as it becomes safer to meet in groups, the advantage that we have is we have space. We, we have 150,000 feet of meeting space at the Sheridan and, and so we've started to look at 
religious organizations and churches. So if, if your church is now being held to 50% or to 50% up to 150 or whatever your number is at this point in time, um, is there an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that I have a ballroom that handles a thousand people and 50% is still 500 and we can do it safely? And, and so is there a way to, um, to, to find some interim solutions? Like you said, Christian, these may not have been uh, it, customers who would, one, look at a hotel as an option, or, or two, be, be effective if it was displacing a large convention. But in lieu of a large convention, um, every, every opportunity is a friendly opportunity. And Jim, I'm trying to f just get an idea of what the phone conversations are like when you're talking to people that are either deciding to um, cancel an event, a convention, uh, or postpone it. And I guess I, you'd obviously prefer they postpone it. If they, if they do postpone it, Jim, how far out do they feel comfortable about rescheduling it? So, so it's an interesting question, Peter, because what, what we're finding is there's a great deal of comfort pushing out two or three years. So, so and, and, and what we have, one of the things that we, we deal with as well is that the organizations we do business with, if they're an association who does an annual meeting and they were scheduled to be in New Orleans in the fourth quarter of 2020, their next open year might be 2024 or 2025. And, and so they can't commit to 21 because they're under a contract. And so I can't say, would you like to move it to January? Well, no, we're going to hold it in November, and we have already signed a contract in whatever city. And, and so we're, we've gone, we actually went as far out as, I think, 2031 on one group, although it's a group that consistently books more than 10 years out, right? So each, each year, they're making a, a contract for a convention that's 10 years away. Um, where, we've, where we've really had to work closely with our customers is, is seeking language in our contracts for 21 that provides both parties to the agreement some comfort that if it's impossible or difficult or, or more difficult to do, that, that we can reach terms that, that are acceptable to both. If the conference would typically be 800 people, maybe what we do is provide some allowances that it may grow to 800, but it may also be smaller. And if it is, both parties are comfortable with the agreement. Jim Cook is general manager of the Sheridan Hotel in New Orleans. Jim, thanks so much for joining us on Out to Lunch Louisiana. Thank you, Peter, Christian, and Stephanie. It's been great being with you. We appreciate it. You're listening to Out to Lunch Louisiana with Peter Raschuti in New Orleans, Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge, and I'm Christian Mater in Lafayette. At the beginning of the pandemic, we all learned a new acronym, PPE, Personal Protective Equipment. We also learned that the country didn't have enough PPE for the medical personnel who needed them. And that's when entrepreneur Peter Seltzer swung into action. Peter pivoted his company, Pete's Papercraft, from making paper products to making plastic and plexiglass products, and I like face shields and, and the big sheets of plexiglass that hang between you and the cashier at the supermarket. In the plexiglass business, these are called sneeze guards. Peter Seltzer, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Peter, you started out by making over 13,000 face shields for members of the Oxner Health System. That alone would be an extraordinary accomplishment if it was the whole story, but it's barely the beginning. 
You've gone on to make thousands of plexiglass sneeze guards. And the reason that you knew about the initial PPE shortage is because, as well as being a successful entrepreneur, you're also a paramedic. And you're the founder and director of a paramedic training program for high school kids called Gateway EMS Training. Do you think you're the sort of person who would find a way to play a pivotal role in any emergency? Or do you think you just happen to be perfectly positioned to play a pivotal role in this particular crisis? For me, this was a really unexpected crisis. But for some reason, all of my skills aligned up in this way where I was able to help out people in the healthcare industry, as well as businesses reopening, as well as support my own businesses and my employees. Um, no, I mean, it, it, it is perfect. And, and really, it doesn't sort of matter because either way, you were, as you say, in the right place at the right time. Um, yeah. Was it difficult to make the pivot? I mean, you know, just, just drilling down a little bit. I mean, how, how, how long did it take? I mean, was it just like one night you thought of it yeah. and in a matter of hours, you were already ordering plexiglass instead of paper? Early March was a time of much uncertainty in our area. And over two days, my school programs got shut down. And then also my art market on Frenchman Street. A lot of my business comes from the nighttime art market. So March 12th and 13th, both those things got shut down. I had no clue what I was gonna do to support myself. I had eight employees at the time between my different ventures and we needed to do something. And so I immediately started working again as a paramedic and a week later, I didn't have enough personal protective equipment while I was working with COVID patients. That next morning, I got a call from some people that I've worked with before. It's called uh, Robert Forbes 3D. And they connected me with a group of people in New Orleans, Scale Workspace in Goodwood NOLA. And overnight, we transformed my studio where I have my advanced manufacturing equipment, laser cutters, to start making these face shields. And so all of a sudden, I brought my team back. We were running 24-hour operations, producing the face shields for Oshner. So that was going on. We're producing face shields. But after about two weeks, it seemed like international supply chains, to some degree, started to catch up for large organizations like Oshner. And so there wasn't a need for me to produce the face shields anymore. And I sat around again, and I did not know how I was going to su support my uh, employees. I didn't know when my paycheck, next paycheck was going to be. And I think I cleaned up my studio probably about four times, just cleaned everything, sat around, cleaned up some more, didn't know what to do with myself. And I decided and I realized that I'd have to find something to do because I don't know when my next paycheck is. And so I thought about the work we've been doing. And I thought, I realized that there was going to be a demand for the general public to have some sort of protective barrier as well. Right now, the focus was with the healthcare industry. But if I could look a little bit ahead, I realized that everybody would need some protection. And so I got with my plexiglass supplier and placed a large order. It was a, a bet, a gamble. I didn't know how it would pan out. But ever since then, I've been placing a lot more orders. So I got to think that you know, we, we keep going through different phases. I guess we're all paused in phase two, right? But everywhere I go, I see some sort of plexiglass barrier. And 
it's walking into a business that I might say to my, I, I don't know necessarily they would have it, right? Like it's, they're just showing up in places that you don't necessarily think about it. It used to be the thing that I thought about for buffets, right? Like you go to the Popeye's buffet here in Lafayette, you're going to hit a sneeze guard, right? So, but I got to wonder if at this point you're you're looking at this and saying like, hey, this this stuff might be here to stay. Like this might be something that we kind of generally expect companies or anything that has a public face to it to have? I mean, is that generally your thought or are you planning for an end to this market? They're like, well, I'm going to go back to paper. I thought early on that this would be a several week opportunity. Every At the end of every week, I'm like, okay, this is it. This is going to be over. And then the next week, the phone calls keep on coming. I think what happened was early on, lots of businesses quickly had to produce something. So it was like, hey, let's go to Home Depot. Let's get some two by fours. Let's just like slap something up. Now we're all realizing this is going to yeah be here for a while. And now that this is going to be here for a while, it's time to maybe invest in something that's a little bit more uh, polished looking. And so for me, the, the business for myself has also changed throughout the pandemic. So early on, it was just quickly, hey, just get a piece of plexiglass, get it up. Now we're trying to start doing a lot more installations. The majority of my work now is on custom installed sneeze guards. And Peter, the, I want to tie this into a, a big controversy uh, in town, and that is, you know, whether or not the schools will reopen. Can you, uh, I'm trying to picture how this would go, but could you pick, could you actually teach EMT remotely? Or have you thought about that? Yeah, so that's actually really interesting. And I think these sneeze guards are really important, but in terms of reopening schools, um, we're going to try to do it remotely to start. So we are uh, geared up with my instructors to teach our EMS classes remotely. We hope at some point to bring students in for some hands-on work. There has to be that component. Um, you, you don't want someone certified or licensed to perform medical skills that hasn't practiced those medical skills. But I think that we need to try to figure out how we can do it in a safe uh, manner. And so that revolves around lots of distributed education. And then once we do come face to face, it's going to be small groups. We're going to have protective barriers and, you know, sneeze guards and wearing masks. And I, I think we're going to get to that point where we can uh, give kids the licenses they need. You said something a few minutes ago, Peter, that you said, I just, you know, I, I just tried to think forward about what would be needed. And that, that's always the key, right, to a successful entrepreneur. I think that's one thing I can't ever do is think forward enough. But as you're thinking forward now, where do you see things, um, you know, six, 12 months from now? Um, I mean, obviously you're focused on the fall and, and your school and everything, but I mean, how does this play out in, in your forward thinking estimation? Yes. Yeah, so for the sneeze guard business, I believe that there's going to be continued business for the foreseeable future, including six months out, but it will all revolve around more, um, uh, finished products that are more refined looking. So now we're getting into metal frames. We're getting into lots of, of a uh, ceiling hung uh, sneeze guards. And I think back, my first sale was to tall Thomas on magazine street in new Orleans. And I got that because I was just going down the street, knocking on doors, finding anybody who would talk to me. And yesterday I was installing sneeze guards in bell chase for the 159th fighter wing. So it's been quite a, uh, change in my my clients. We're still working with lots of small local New Orleans businesses, include and Baton Rouge businesses. We've been sending sneeze guards up to Baton Rouge. I think that we're going to continue to invest. We're going to continue to try to build.
build our inventory and just like iterate what we are producing because um, businesses need this to reopen safely. So how much of a an aesthetic consideration can you really make with a sneeze guard where you're, you know, you're taking these things in. I, I think most people look at them as, oh, it's a piece of plastic. It's going to keep sneeze particles from getting on my cash register or whatever. But like, I, I guess I would like to know the range of, you know, somebody saying like, you know, just put this damn piece of plastic up versus somebody says like, you know, I really think we need to find some, some, some way to make this look a little, a little bit more refined. What does that look like? A lot of it has to do with safety. Um, Home-grown options of plexiglass can be really dangerous if they're not mounted properly. Plexiglass can shatter and it's sharp like glass. So a lot of what we do is with large organizations and companies and focus on safety. So I actually mostly use uh, polycarbonate as opposed to uh, plexiglass nowadays. Plexiglass is acrylic. Polycarbonate is more durable, it's more flexible. So we've been installing it at uh, companies like uh, Shell in their buildings downtown been doing that in some of the large hotels uh, downtown, not the Sheraton yet. Uh, But the aesthetic concerns are are there because a lot of companies, they put a lot of effort into their um, commercial, their their environment and their looks. So they really want something that's not just like screwed into their uh, very expensive, you know, cubicles or or their uh, marble countertop. And Peter, uh, you have various businesses here. You're kind of a serial entrepreneur. I remember uh, uh, Pete's Pedal popsicles for a while you got you just got lots and lots of ideas they uh, how do you keep the um original business going when you've got so much attention dedicated to these covid related uh businesses for instance on the paper products you were just getting some real traction at uh uh, moving this this kind of product to uh, themes in other cities, these ones you make now are New Orleans centric. But you were you were moving on out. Uh, how do you keep a a third eye on that business? Yeah, my my paper product company. We've been expanding rapidly. I sell my products all over New Orleans. Uh, I sell them in Lafayette. Um, I sell them in Baton Rouge. We're in the New Orleans airport, and we are just expanding nationally. So. Trying to keep this all together has to, comes down to like having a good team. So I'm really lucky right now that I have a, a number of team members that are able to support me in my different efforts. There's definitely going to be some pullback right now on Pete's Papercraft. A lot of my expansion efforts are, are going to be on hold, not necessarily because I don't have the capacity, but more so that the market has just evaporated. I've seen locally in New Orleans, my sales have just totally uh, plummeted. We have gotten a few wholesale orders recently. Um, Modern Wine Cellar just placed a new wholesale order for me. I just got a new wholesale order from 30 Girl. So we are seeing some um, resurgence of that, that market, but I still expect that for the time being, I need to focus on these other endeavors while things recover. Peter Seltzer is the owner of Pete's Paper Crafts and director of Gateway EMS Training. Peter, thank you so much for joining us in Out to Lunch, Louisiana. Thank you for having me, Christian. And thank you for joining us for this edition of Out to Lunch, Louisiana. We edited these conversations to fit into the time slot here on your NPR station. You can hear longer versions of these conversations wherever you normally get your Out to Lunch podcast. We've been making this statewide version of Out to Lunch since the beginning of the pandemic. As things are beginning to get back to some sort of normal, we're going to go back to our individual out-to-lunch shows in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Acadiana. In Acadiana, we're looking forward to getting back to having lunch at the French Press. In Baton Rouge, we'll be back at Mansur's on the Boulevard. And in New Orleans, we'll be back at Commander's Palace. 
the upside to the lockdown that drove us to create this socially distanced version of Out to Lunch has been getting to work with you, Stephanie and Christian. It has been an absolute pleasure. It's been so much fun. I'm sad it's over. Yeah, I'm going to miss you guys. This is going to be hard. Now that you've discovered we have Out to Lunch Acadiana in Baton Rouge and in New Orleans, you can keep listening to your local show on your NPR station. And you can find the other shows as podcasts. If you're not an Out to Lunch podcast subscriber, search for Out to Lunch, Out to Lunch Baton Rouge, or Out to Lunch Acadiana on your podcast app. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical director is Eric Merle. Photos from the show on our website and social media are taken by Jill LaFleur. I'm Christian Mader in Lafayette. I'm Peter Raschuti in New Orleans. And I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. Thanks for joining us today and for this entire season as we've covered the COVID economy in Louisiana. We're all looking forward to getting back to normal. We look forward to seeing you next week here on your own local Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.